So I says to the Vulcan, listen, mate, if you don't want me to park here, then you should... Oh, fuck, here we go. Is that... Oh, no, it's string quartet, isn't it? Is... Oh, why is, why is no one in a punk... Why is no one in a punk band? That's what I want to know. Nobody yeah. raps. There's no hip-hop. There's never really live hip-hop on this ship. It's always... Cla- oh, can we go Which is weird, pop? because... Have, have you ever heard Riker drop a... Drop some L rhymes? It's... He's very good at it. It's, you say he's good. Um, let's just put it this way. He doesn't do the radio edit. Okay? He's he's dropping certain words that that man... Look, just because you can play the trumpet and you like jazz doesn't mean you're one of them. Okay? You can't use that language. Podcasts. A Frontier. These are the voyages of the podcast Captain Slug. Its ongoing mission to explore strange new episodes, to seek out new jokes and new references, to split infinitives that no one has split before. Captain Slog, Stardate 49. These are the continued voyages of me, Eddie Edwards, and my colleague, Mr. Mark Bench, as we trek our way through all of Star Trek The Next Generation. Um, Mark, is, Mark, how you been? Uh, yeah, great. Um, what's been up, man? You really put, you put me on the spot. Um, how am I? How am I? Uh, fine. How are you? Okay. Um, well, I spent most of the day thinking that um, Vince McMahon was selling WWE to Saudi Arabia, meaning that I was no longer going to be able to enjoy the Royal Rumble this year. And oh. then found out that that is apparently not happening. So now that I can enjoy the Royal Rumble with only worrying that I'm contributing to the industry of and wealth of, of a very horrible man, but at least who hasn't beheaded anyone. So... Do you think the Saudi royal family? Do you think the reason that you got mixed up is the Saudi royal family? Uh, what they call the royal rumble is just the earthquakes that come about because of the fracking that's directly responsible of, for them. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> there was there was there was something there, right? What you got to do, yeah. right? I feel like I gave you enough words with spaces yeah, in between that- and inflection there to cut that into something. Legible. There's a joke so, there, yeah, and yeah. much like the Saudis, I can mine for the gold uh, yeah. and then Cause, refine cause, that cause, from the ore. Royal, that's the easy bit, right? The Saudi royal family, <laughs> right? We we can all make that <clears throat> that connection. The problem is the rumble. Now, my brain had to start. Listen, if you're listening to this and you're not someone who regularly does comedy or writes jokes or whatever, congrats. You know, well, congr- congratulations on seeing. On seeing beyond the the veil, right? This is how the the sausage is made. The rumble that that was the real problem. That was when the wheels really started had to start turning, because do do they frack in Saudi Arabia? I think they're the, I think they're pretty they're pretty on the ball with their oil. Like if anything, they are doing oil extraction correctly. So on the one hand. Well done to the Saudis, right? On the other, on the hand, other hand, oh, it was they cut did nine eleven. So, uh, 
Um, and also, we really shouldn't be using oil. But uh, I, I think if you were to take a poll of standard of, of your standard textbook people on the street, Americans and Brits, and say, which one do you think is worse, using oil or 9-11? Chances are they're going to say 9-11. <laughs> now, in 50 years, that might switch. Yeah, but anyway, back to back to the, the rumble. So where would the rumble come from? Because you're in the desert. So you, I don't know if you get a lot of earthquakes in the desert. Camel racing? They do camel racing. Yeah, but, but that's that... that's got mm, yeah. It's kind of a little bit racist, isn't it? Holy shit, yeah. man! So we were watching <laughs> an episode of Bullseye the other day. Cause... <laughs> I love how you got that from it. That's a bit racist. Hold on a minute. I just remembered something Jim Bowen said. Yeah, still well, it wasn't broadcast. even Jim Bowen. It was Jim Bowen's pal. The, the kind oh, right. of the announcer guy, right? And you know at the start, Jim Bowen comes out and he does his, his part. For anyone who has never seen Bullseye, I imagine we've explained Bullseye on this podcast before. Surely <laughs> you and I have at some point talked about if, Bullseye. If, if we if we haven't, it's a darts-based quiz show. That's I, It's that simple. But, um, cru- but very crucially, from the early 1980s. Yeah, the early 1980s, through to the late 1980s. And if, if you need it explained further, there's no better explanation than Peter Kay's What is Bullseye routine is might be the finest dissection of the of Bullseye yeah. ever. I, I, don't um, know, I don't know if he got into this, <laughs> but when you go on Bullseye, if you are a participant, um, you you win the money that you... It's not like in Je- Jeopardy or whatever, where you just get nothing. Maybe that isn't how Jeopardy works. I don't know. Jeopardy, frankly, is not as exciting as Bullseye. But <laughs> if you're a participant, you get the money that you earn, and you also get like a like a, a kind of doll of like the, the mascot who is a bull. Bully. Really? But you also get a tankard, like a Bullseye tankard. Yes. Unless you are a woman, <laughs> in which case, instead of a pint-sized tankard... You get a, a a goblet enough to hold one sherry, like because that's what women drank in the eighties. Not darts playing women though. That's the thing. Not no, darts very few darts, darts, darts playing women. Yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, but anyway, oh, we were watching Bullseye, right? So, and and his little pal came out and he said, Jim, you know, I just wanted to tell you about this uh, this time uh, on my holiday. Uh, this this summer, and Jim's like, oh, where did you go? And he says, oh, I went to Kenya. And he's like, oh, I'm, already Laura and I are fucking <laughs> biting our hands, like, where's, where's this going? Because <laughs> this this can't be going somewhere good. Um, and he said, like, I got footage of the of the local darts team, uh, and then it cuts to a bunch of Zulu warriors with their spears running towards the camera, and and like throwing them, <laughs> just, and we're like, oh. Where do you okay. go with this? Because I'm not look. I don't want to get controversial on this, but I I kind of like the like my racist my is this a bit racist um sense was like going off, but then I was like, if I had to explain this to my uncle, would I be able? Would he just be like, no, it's fine. You could do that these days. <laughs> <laughs> like nah, I, nah. You you yeah. yeah. Difficult, isn't it? Because spear trucker is a racial slur, but that is literally a man trucking a spear. So that's yeah. that's yeah. Mm. I don't know. And then it's like, is it <laughs> is it re- is it like belittling something sacred to their culture? Not really. If it's if it's on TV, here's my view. If it's on TV now, so if you if you saw that on Challenge, I know that on Challenge they do cut out a lot of the racism 
because I always watch once I get an episode of Big Break yeah. and Jim Davidson was introducing the various people. And had Every episode of Big Break must be three and a half minutes long if they have to cut out the racism. There's the, you know, you got the two contestants and they try and get a snooker player in Big Break. So he goes, like, introduces the contestant, has a little bit of banter with them, that's fine. Introduces the snooker player, has a little bit of banter with them, that's fine. Uh, introduces the next contestant, has a bit of banter with them. Introduces the uh, next snooker player, uh, who is Asian, and it immediately cuts to five minutes later in the show. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for all you know, he just refused to speak to them any further than he necessarily had to. No, yeah, but I think there's the fact that he very publicly did that. He said, yeah. and I'm not going to speak to you because you're the wrong colour. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Snooker, yeah, snooker is a game about colours, and that colour specifically is white, my friend. <laughs> Jim it's the Davidson. White ball pushing every, all the other colours around. That's yeah, exactly. Why, that's why Jim Davidson likes it so much. <laughs> um, so yeah, anyway, I'll let I'll let I'll let him off the hook. Um, if you if you do want to read about something racist that Jim Bowen done, I, I'm not gonna <laughs> I, I'm not gonna say it on this podcast. And who, but, but who go, doesn't? Who doesn't? Yeah, but go go and check out why he got fired off BBC Radio. It's intense. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I I I haven't I don't know the story, but now I need to look it up and listen to the recording because I'm guessing he just dropped the N word. <laughs> um, on BBC Radio Two, I'm not going to spoil it. He, he, he drops a version of the N word, oh. like a like a variant of it. Um, <laughs> the, the Omicron like, variant of the N word. Yeah, like a like like a, More like contagious. the like the British kind of cheeky chappy version of the N word. Oh, um, I know the one you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and uh, and then tries to claim, oh, in uh, was he from? He's not Birmingham. He's he's, he's from Yorkshire. Remember? He says, oh, when I was growing up in Yorkshire, that was just slang for a lazy person. He's like, well, oh, that's you, not bad. Do you ever wonder why? Do you, do you ever wonder where that where where that connection is? Like, have you ever? Do you ever? Do you know? Do you know how to do that? Like a connect the dot, or do you? Does someone just show you like a connect the dot puzzle, and you're like, that's a fun. Combination of dots. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Star Trek. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about that. Uh... O'Brien watch. O'Brien could play the cello. Uh... <laughs> O'Brien can play the cello better than he can get any fucking lines this episode. <laughs> Did you notice that he's yeah. in this episode and says nothing? He's, also, he's in four scenes. He's not only says nothing, he's also very clearly about to say something on like two separate occasions and then just gets stopped <laughs> but that's such is the life of a featured extra I suppose yeah. uh, but yeah it's like can you tune up this uh, can you tune up this cello I can, can you play the cello I can look like I can play the cello so it's cold, <laughs> <isn't> it? <laughs> I don't know man maybe you can yeah I don't know. Yeah, maybe it's like a Wednesday Adams scenario, and we're going to find out that like he can. He's well, a very accomplished cellist. When Laura, um, when Laura and I watched the episode, and it and it cut over to O'Brien on the cello, she was like, "Oh, O'Brien on the cello, obviously." And she and she said and she said that in such a tone that I was like, "Right, that's got to be playing into some sort of Irish stereotype," and I have no idea whether it's a positive or a negative one. So I am going to say nothing. 
Yeah, I would have figured the Irish stereotype would have had him on the fiddle. <laughs> yeah, you would think so, wouldn't you? But d- d- but you 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 you've got to have data do the old the old violence. So this this plays into something that I that I want to discuss with you. There there better be more than one fucking bar on the Enterprise. That right? wasn't ten forward. I I I, 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 I that definitely wasn't ten forward. Well, the reason I'm saying that yeah. is like I. I, I like going and seeing live music. That's yeah. fine. But I don't think there's anything worse than being in a pub and having live music thrust upon you when you didn't specifically want to see it. That's basically... <laughs> um, have you ever been to Dublin? <laughs> That's basically I'm... what Dublin is. <laughs> yeah, but if I go to Dublin, I expect that in a pub. Yeah. But I don't want to be trying to have the conversation with somebody about the darts. Right, yeah, and then suddenly a fucking Vivaldi kick in. Uh, it's like at least I want to be able to pick the genre, right? Yeah, like, I don't mind if there's live music in every bar, but like, why is nobody in Starfleet? Everybody in Starfleet plays a classical instrument. Nobody's in a fucking garage band. Like, yeah, uh, we just which... do Nirvana and Pearl Jam covers, <laughs> and it's bizarre because they they do point out, and I think it's it's in Star Trek Beyond when they play the Beastie Boys. Uh, yeah, they, they, I, either yeah. Scotty or Bones refers to it as, and I quote, classical music. Yeah, which doesn't it works as a joke, but it does, classical is a specific genre. Yeah, just because it's older, it wouldn't be classical. They could have just said, "Oh, it's a, an old oldie but a goodie." Or something like that. Yeah, exactly. But well, yeah. I mean, again, as semi-professional joke writers, they, they did the right thing. Um, yeah, they but, did. Uh, yeah, but I. But yeah, because I guess it, it, like it, it's that thing of, of pop culture, isn't it? Um, where like people think like eighties movies were better than the movies that we get now, or the eighties music was better than the music that we get now, and it's like, well, it isn't. It's just that we are so far removed from that period that the only stuff that we get to see is the stuff that really worked. But two hundred yeah. years in the future, man, they like right like fucking. Um, Right on time, or ride on time by Black Box. Like they are going to be holding that up with like the same <laughs> reverence as like a like like a a, a Monet painting. He said, realizing that he couldn't get he couldn't think of a single song, so he just so he he like he likened ride on time by Black Box to a Monet painting. <laughs> A, a, a Van Gogh, a Van, a Van Gogh, a Van Gogh uh, mashup. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I was, I laugh when people go like, "Oh, music was better in the nineties," and it's like, "Oh yeah, back when Peter Andre was at number one." What, what the fuck are you talking about? How, how, <laughs> the Smurfs had a number one album. Yeah. <laughs> I think the Smurfs had more than one number one album. I know that the Tally Tubbies had two number one singles. I think I owned a Smurfs album. Um, yeah, and I, I think I owned the second one, and I remember being distinctly disappointed in that, because even as a child, because he, right, so if you're listening to this and you're like a Gen Zer, right, if you grew up in the two thousands, by the time that pop culture had become overwhelmingly the main culture, uh, you probably don't remember anything really about back in the day when a sequel to something was basically always worse. Um, yeah. 
Men in Straight Black to video. Too. Straight to video. Uh, any Disney sequel. Uh, yeah. It, 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 weirdly, it didn't happen often in video games because video games, as a medium, like the way that they work, is they always progress. They always the, you always get better at making them, and consoles get better. So generally, yeah. video games tend to get better with sequels. But movies and albums, um, it, it was always the original one that was better. And I remember being very fucking disappointed that I had whatever Smurfs to Die Hard or whatever it was called. <laughs> No, Smurfs to the Secret of the Use. Uh, yeah, I believe. Uh. Yeah, and and and, 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 and do you know what? Also, I don't know if the, I don't know if this still flies, but something else just came to my mind. Sorry, we sorry, James. We will get back to Star Trek in a in a minute. Um, <laughs> was variant versions of action figures that didn't make any sense that weren't as good as the original? Like, yeah, yeah. The Ninja Turtles were the kind of progenitor of this. Like the Ninja Turtles, you your first series, you buy Leonardo, Donatello, Michelangelo. Raphael, and it's just the you know they're the standard naked except for the belt and the bandana, sexy um, weapons. <laughs> Splinters at least got a, a house coat on because he's the Hugh Hefner of the of the Ninja Turtles. <laughs> um, but then you would get variants that were like. <laughs> Just lo- I just love the idea. I've got the idea now that just inside the pockets of, of Splinter's thing, Splinter would have been so much better if he'd been smoking cigars. I'm just going to yeah. say it. <laughs> I think the Michael Bay one kind of wanted them to do that because in the Michael Bay one, Splinter's origin has nothing to do with Japan. He just decided that he was going to talk and dress like that and be voiced by Tony Shalhoub. Um but, but the problem is, what, what you would end up with is like the next variant, or like five variants down the line, because they had to keep making toys, but they couldn't just re-release the same ones over and over again like they do now. Um, yeah. It would be like, so my so my four Ninja Turtles that I had were your standard Leonardo, Donatello, and Raphael, right? And then Michelangelo just had basketball gear on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I can totally see a scenario in which Mikey is the only one in basketball gear. I can see how that could have happened. Yeah, well, that I, seems like but that's in character for Michelangelo. Uh, yeah, I kind, I kind, I kind of wish that um, my parents had gotten me like all of the normal ones except for Raphael, and then got me like cowboy Raphael because I feel like that the absurdity of that would 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 bring quite a lot of joy to me. I, I, I love the fact that you can tell a lot about somebody who, that, who from who their favourite turtle is. Like, obviously, if you like Donatello, you're more of an intellectual, maybe a bit of a geek sort of person. If you um, like Raphael, you're more of a, a loner, a bit more of a tough guy, a bit more grizzled. Michelangelo, a bit more fun, a bit more of a party animal. And if you like Leonardo, your favourite colour is blue. Uh... <laughs> I know, man. Like, uh, he's the leader. He's 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 a good. Yeah, nobody t- likes the leader. He's a good Fucking... two shoes. He, he, yeah. yeah, he's yeah he's he's not even like he's not even like the type of leader who is the glue that holds the turtles together because Raphael is constantly trying to fucking break off yeah <laughs> yeah yeah no, right okay liking liking Leonardo the best is like having Captain America be your favourite Avenger when the first Avengers movie came out yeah right fair, it's yeah. acceptable for Captain America to be your favourite Avenger by the end of the Infinity Saga yeah right but it is not acceptable and like by the time that Avengers 1 comes out your favourite Avenger should be Iron Man, might be four, and I'll push weirdly, maybe Hawkeye if you're just weird. <laughs> I I was a Hawkeye guy, because um, yeah. I because I because I really I had a lot of respect for Hawkeye, but Hawkeye's good. His shtick is that he's good at bow and arrow, and he's in the Avengers, <laughs> and then Joss Whedon put that like almost that word for word in Avengers too, and I was like, yeah, it doesn't work if you say it out loud, Joss. 
<laughs> fucking idiot. Stop sexually harassing people, allegedly. That's that's what I liked about the Hawkeye series is that it, the the fact that there's an obsessed fangirl who spent her entire life trying to emulate Hawkeye doesn't make sense because when you look at the Avengers, the only one that you could conceivably actually be is Hawkeye. Yeah, like you, unless everything else relies on like you being either as Guardian injected with super soldier serum, being kidnapped as a child by the Russians, <laughs> and, and, and turned into a super spy. Being a genius billionaire, or or being or being a nuclear physicist, and yeah. you're never you're never going to be that. Yeah, you're never I mean, going to be that, Megan. All right, you're, never, you're not smart enough. You're, even if you were you're, smart, you're enough, dedicated. You, yeah. This is this is me talking to my future kid. You're dedicated, but you're not smart enough. All right, what? you gotta you gotta be Hawkeye. You gotta be smart enough to be a nuclear physicist and dumb enough to get caught in a nuclear explosion of your own creation. That's a very, there's a very Ooh. fine overlap on that Venn diagram. The, the, de- <laughs> the, the depth of field on that shot is fucking slim. Hawkeye <laughs> could make it though. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, I think we've got enough topic. So, so we've so, mentioned one thing about this episode, which so Brian plays the challenge. So Beverly, <laughs> Doctor Beverly Crusher, Doctor Crusher, and Cap and Captain Picard are sitting there in pro- probably eight forward or something. And yeah. first of all, and I thought this, and then luckily Laura brought it up first. Bev, looking incredible today. Yeah, yeah, uh, she looks amazing. I don't know what it was. I don't know if it's because she's she's in the she was in just the uniform with no lab coat. But uh, oh, um, anyway, uh. So, so Data comes in and, and he's given it. I'm, I, I'm here to play, but I, I basically I don't have a soul. So I, so I will play competent music, but my other bandmates, they're they're kind of they're they're not in for me being here. Which which I'm like, hold on a minute. Are you trying to say that O'Brien has? I no, actually, I can absolutely imagine this. That O'Brien has sat Data down in ten forward, and he's just like, listen, mate. You can you can technically play all you want, but you have no fucking soul, son. You have no fucking soul. And next time there's just there's just eight eight empty pints of Guinness. And then and then, t- and then ten minutes later he's just like, I could have played for county, but it's all politics. <laughs> like, you should like he's sitting there going, Look, if you if you learn anything from the devil goes down to Georgia, you can be as technical as you want, but if you haven't got a soul, <laughs> you're screwed. Yeah. You're done. That's why Satan can't win. And then, and then he's the judge. And then you see Data <laughs> just moving his eyes around, and that's how that because that's I'm reading that story, and he's like, "Oh, I understand. So I should be playing a gold fiddle." <laughs> and O'Brien like fucking glasses on with a Guinness glass. <laughs> how many times do you reckon O'Brien has glass Data, knowing it will cause him no harm? Uh, <laughs> probably a few. He he probably does it every time that Guinan pours him a one pint pour. Of Guinness. No, it's, it's when it's despite, she puts a, little, and, uh, she puts the a shamrock she, in the top, despite yeah. the fact that he says he doesn't want it. <laughs> she does a one pint pour and she does the shamrock, and then he's just like, it's a two pint pour, there is a reason, and then Guinan is like, listen, I worked for Guinness back in the 90s, it's a marketing ploy, we don't really have to do it after the advent of nitrogen casks, right? It was when it was wood, and then fucking O'Brien just really angrily just takes his full pint of Guinness and just fucking smashes it in Data's face because he knows he's not going to do anything. <laughs> He's an angry drunk, is Miles O'Brien. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, 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 
Yeah. No, I one hundred percent imagine that happening. Yeah, because uh, he gets close to glassing Bashir a few times in Deep Space Nine. <laughs> um, right. So the oh. plot of this episode is some aliens have like said, "Oh yeah, we, we, we aliens have got a treaty with the the Federation that says they own this bit of space," and they've said, "Oh look, we, we're going to move into this planet." It turns out there's a bunch of humans there, so um, you've got four days to get rid of them. Uh, but the planet's radioactive, so they they can't. Like they can't go down, but Data's immune to the radiation, so he has to go deal with it. And it's him trying to persuade people with interpersonal skills that he doesn't have. And they also um, they can't use the the transporter because yeah. the the type of radiation because it it was hundreds of years ago or 130 years ago there was a ship, the Artemis, taking yeah. it was like a colony ship and it was flying people out and then it crashed on this planet and only a third of the people survived because they were. They were able to become immune to the radiation, but this radiation means that technology essentially doesn't really work there pro- properly. Yeah. But now they could have gone quite a lazy way with that and had them. Uh, maybe it's not so lazy. Maybe there is like a story here where it's like whatever four or five generations down the line, with no technology, do you just turn back to superstition? But no, they didn't. They didn't really go with that. They like the people were like, "Oh, you are an android. We understand what androids are because we've read yeah. books and our grandparents were like, back in my day, we used to have these things called androids." <laughs> yeah, even though they didn't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but they, yeah, there's like uh, they they, uh, they arrive at the shuttle, and I was expecting a full like, "Oh no, anything." And they were like, "Oh, it's some sort of shuttle." I think these are Federation markings. Oh, our, our great operates <laughs> were in the Federation, and then yeah. doesn't question it. There's a, I, there's a guy, it's not addressed specifically, there's a guy I'm guessing is a bit Vulcan, because um, they're a group of colonists, so they wouldn't all be human to start with, but I think that black guy is definitely comes across as, like, a, he's playing that a bit Vulcan. Yeah, yeah, I get you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've got a weird society in that when you get elected leader in the society... Um, all of your dialogue has to be terribly ADR'd. Uh, <laughs> and that's only, specifically only for the leader of the society. Everybody else is fine and normal. So I looked into this. Apparently <laughs> they did that to that guy because they thought he didn't sound leader-y enough. Right, like okay. they did, He didn't have the gravitas. So it's somebody else's voice? Yeah, it's someone else's voice. Oh, yeah, right, yeah okay, that makes it's sense. Not that it's, voice. It's, it's definitely off. Yeah. Like the minute I, it, it, you know, and it's it's not just noticeable, it's very noticeable. <laughs> Apparently, this episode had a lot of a lot of trouble behind the scenes. Uh, last minute, first of all, O'Brien is in four scenes and doesn't say anything. Uh, yeah, which, which is shambles. Bizarre. Uh, but the other thing is that this episode last minute had two hundred thousand dollars cut off its budget. Oh. Now I was very surprised by that because it made me think. Wait, how much is the regular budget for a TNG episode? Because <laughs> that's a that, right. that's either a lot of money or not a whole lot of money. I was all, yeah. I, I'd have it, but but it, <laughs> it, but it meant that. Um, <clears throat> but they said, "Oh, we had to cut two hundred grand off the episode, so they had to cut out a subplot between Data and that lady having a romance." Like, what? Why? <laughs> Just, why? Why was that? It's going to be expensive. Maybe not spend all your money on that one. To, now, to be fair, that glorious-looking map painting, and I, I don't yeah. want to get on a tangent here. This episode looks fantastic. It's, oh yeah, 
Yeah. And when, when they arrive on the planet and um, the, 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 sh- the shuttle is there yeah. and there's some rocks in the background and the sky was like, oh no, we're doing this again where it's like we've just got a coloured black ground and then the thing, and then no, this is a this is a, a gorgeous looking. I really enjoyed this episode, to be honest. This was like I some, quite like this episode. I like uh, this episode quite a bit. Yeah, Data gets a little girlfriend. It's very sweet. Uh, She's got quite a sexy outfit. Yeah, I quite liked um, Adrian McKenzie, played by Eileen Seeley. I jotted that down. <laughs> I thought she was a, a, a asset to the episode. Yeah, it could it could have been a fun a fun uh, if they wanted to get rid of. Uh, Wesley, they could have brought her on the Enterprise. Yeah, I was going to say that. I, I, I was like, you could have done very similar to what they did in what they ended up doing in uh, the Orville with Isaac and um, Claire. Whereas, like, just be like, we, like, Data doesn't have emotions, but I don't think that's a flaw. Like, Data, comp- like, I don't think Data can feel angry or feel love, but I think he can think it. Because the idea that he's got, like, a best friend, Geordie, and, like, people he respects and the opinions he likes. Like, he has different social... He doesn't just treat everyone exactly the same. Yeah. And so he, he has must have, like, fundamentally some good. Yeah. So he must understand what it... Like, the advantages of being good rather than bad. I mean, he talks about that to his brother. So... Yeah. He must understand. Yeah. Um, and I've got to say this for an episode that is entirely about data and data disabilities. Really good Troy episode as well. Yeah, real good, uh, yeah. <laughs> Here's a question, because I, cause I thought about this. What, where, where is Troy in the command structure? Uh, I, I actually know this, because it comes up in a later episode. She is a lieutenant. So, so the, the, there would need to be about thirty-five people knocked out before she would be in charge. Yeah, that happens in an episode in I think season four, <laughs> where like O'Brien has to explain her rank to her. It's like on the bridge, and he's like, "Technically, Councillor Troy is in charge." <laughs> <laughs> I do, I do know that the one and only time in the series when she takes control of the bridge, the episode is literally called "Disaster." <laughs> Yeah, yeah. She she takes. I think she actually only takes the helm of the Enterprise once, and it's in one of the like actually properly takes the helm once. It's in one of the movies, and the ship instantly crashes. Because <laughs> <laughs> you can't ask a ship how it's doing. Yeah, well, maybe you can, but maybe, and maybe nobody does, and that's the problem. Like. Yeah, <laughs> maybe the ship was crashing this whole time, and Troy just gave it the ability to get over that edge. <laughs> The, the, the bravery, the courage. Uh, no, you're right. This is a great Troy episode. Yeah, because she has the, the it's that whole thing about they. So the the Sheliac don't who are the other race who own this space don't see can count humans as like life forms. So they're gonna just turn up and wipe out the colony. And like Troy does that brilliant thing of like oh, it's mental that aliens can communicate with each other at all. Because like yeah. if I'm holding this, what do I mean? Like and she says the word like the what the. Uh, betazoid word for cup or whatever and says I'm holding this I point it at say this word what does that mean and Picard's like uh, cup and she's like no and she's like tea liquid and he goes well, might be brown might be transparent might be you know we don't know yeah I, I yeah I was talking to Laura about this because I said because I, I asked her like what did you think that she meant what do you based on her inflection what do you think that she meant 
by that word. Um, and she, I think she she said uh, that, like the liquid inside. That's what she thought it referred to. I think that that word that she used for some reason. It, it just immediately came to me that what she was saying was mine. Like, she was holding it, so she was oh. telling her, him it was hers. Mine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, so the, the, that, that is, like, a fascinating... Because, like, who, do we ever find out in Trek lore... I guess it would be the Vulcans. Pro, who invented the Universal Translator? So it's... So I, I know it's not in Enterprise, because they have a translator on board the ship so i'm guessing it's it's invented between enterprise and the original series yeah so i don't know if we have an actual time it might be something that happens during enterprise because do we still because lieutenant ahura is like her speciality is xenolinguistics according to the movies i I don't know if it was in the original show so obviously you still need someone on board who can do that yeah so there's a, a so I figure that it might be that by the original series where there's a translator, but it's not universal. It's not got the right, like because yeah. in because in there is an episode of Deep Space Nine where aliens who don't aren't whose language isn't in the universal translator arrive on the station, and there's a whole bit about keeping them talking long enough. And as they are talking, uh, suddenly words individual ah, words start to get translated as the computer analyzes enough of their like language patterns. Yeah. And it's like ah, so that's that's very clever. So I think there might be just like a system where it's like oh, I can translate Klingon or Romulan or whatever in TOS, and then by the time you get onto TNG, it's like no, no, it just knows everything. Don't worry about because because not understanding people is the least interesting part of space travel. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that was a criticism that that, that fans had about SG One. Yeah, Stargate SG One is, and I think it was Michael Shanks. They were like, how come you're able to understand all these people? And he was like, because if we didn't, we'd need to spend half the episode just learning their fucking language. And there's, there's, yeah. there's no point, just accept. But but they don't even have a translator. It's just that all the aliens speak English. Yeah, because they like, did have... The, cause the as point it is should they be. Had, yeah, they had Daniel trying to translate for the first series in a bit, I think. And then they just realised, this is boring. Yeah. Because that... Learning to understand someone is a very like interesting sci-fi plot you can have a lot of fun with, but not every episode. Uh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I really like this episode uh, for two reasons. Uh, number one, it, it makes absolutely fantastic use of the classic 4-3 television aspect ratio. Um <laughs> Which I've been get, I have become obsessed with. Laura will tell you, I have become <laughs> fucking obsessed with the four three aspect ratio recently because uh, I got a book about it uh, and uh, and I just I can't stop thinking about it. Uh, the other thing is that <clears throat> this is um so this episode has three different points of view. Uh, there's the Shiliac who per their treaty with the Federation legally have the rights to that planet. There's the people on the planet who no one knew whether they were there. That was kind of the point. The Shiliac discovered them and told the Federation about it, saying, listen, you've got four days to get these people to fuck. Um, They don't know what's going on. They they think that they're obviously, their home is being invaded. They are being taken away from their home in a very, very short period of time by people they might not necessarily trust. Um, And then there's the Federation 
who I would argue kind of has the the biggest overall picture and their point of view is that we have to get these people off because we have to maintain the treaty with the Sheliak. And, and if, also, if we don't, the Sheliak would just murder them and we legally don't have like a leg to stand on yeah. to be like, don't do that. And taking, taking like human bias out of it, I think that all three points of view are somewhat equally valid. Yeah. Yeah. I don't um, want this to be another episode where I advocate for genocide. But the <laughs> Sheliak just they they don't consider human beings to be sentient life. So and yeah. and and really who are we to tell them that that's wrong? <laughs> yeah, I, I like it's it's one of those things as a as a <laughs> right if as a somebody, okay, I've often had this thought which is as a, as a vegetarian, um, this is going to sound really wanky, but I don't think there are a lot of arguments for eating meat that wouldn't also apply to an alien species that decided they want to eat us. <laughs> like, if yeah, they just keep yeah. going, you know, like like when people go, oh, well, you know, animals are stupider than us. Well, so are fucking babies. You don't eat them, um, right? Yeah. <laughs> but you know, so but I'm not I'm not saying that to like sound anyway morally superior. That's just. My, my thinking is and therefore I think if an alien just goes oh we just don't consider you to be people then your counter argument is like you can't really have one because humans historically have done terrible things to creatures we don't consider to be fucking people like we've hunted animals to extinction yeah. for little or no reason like dodos <laughs> weren't tasty we just just murdered them for fun <laughs> you know the you know the you know the wasp that um, I think it's the t- the tarantula wasp, but basically it like paralyzes a tarantula, lays its eggs in the body of the tarantula, and then when the eggs hatch, the younglings eat their way out of the still living spider. Yeah, my opinion of that wasp wouldn't change if it turned out that that wasp species makes really good rap music. <laughs> Like, just because the human species is capable of really beautiful things doesn't mean that we're not fucking awful. Yeah. Yeah. It's very much, you'd very, very hard if you're a human being. Like, if you met an alien's race and they were like, well, we're just going to wipe you out. And they, and we would go, oh, we can't wipe out an entire colony of humans. That's wrong. Because <laughs> what, what, what would you say if they were, well, you've done it. Yeah. <laughs> and you're you. You should like you. <laughs> also, you, you know how much you're fucking up your only planet, and yet you're still <laughs> just doing it for your own... Yeah. It's For what is what essentially boils down to your own amusement. Yeah. For the, Or yeah. at least Li- for the amusement of a few. <laughs> yeah. And, and then yeah, do you know I what? Can... I'm, I'm pro-Shelliac, mate. <laughs> but then I understand like the people on the planet view of like, oh, this is where I lived. Because their view is they're going to try, try and fight until Data turns up with a phaser that he's like fixed to work on the planet and just like completely destroys the entire planet's water supply after like knocking out five people. Was like, yeah, look, it's not going to be a fight. Yeah, I did that in seconds. They've got more powerful weapons. They will decimate you from space. <clears throat> yeah, was it? He he says you you wouldn't even see the face of the person who killed you or something. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I had, I had I had fire fire marshal training uh, mm-hmm. uh, yesterday at work, and they were like, one of the things that they say is like, if a building catches fire and burns down, that building will be rebuilt and refurbished within six seven months, right? Whereas if you die in a fire, 
you can't be replaced by your family. And that's very much what Data's trying to say. They're like, yeah, it's a nice colony. You've done incredible things. I love what you've done to a place. But if you all die and this gets obliterated, you've got nothing. But if you move, you can build something else yeah. new and fresh on another planet. I really like the way that someone puts it when, when, the, when the leader... Uh, like his ADR thoughts start to swim in his head. Um, he he thinks to himself in a Jamaican accent, uh, and uh, and someone and and someone says someone puts it really nicely. The other the other lad he says there are always new challenges. And yeah. I really like that. It's a really it's a really nice little sound bite. Also, it's 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 odd that you got fire marshal training considering you work from home. Uh, <laughs> was it was, I, your, I mean, was your dog in charge of it? Yeah, 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 she was. And, you just, she go, she and the challenge was to get vest. the cat out. <laughs> it's the most troublesome one. Yeah. She, the, cat's, the cat's not allowed outside, you see. So if I do get her out the get him out the front door, I've got to keep hold of him whilst the dog's attacking. Uh, <laughs> no, I do work in the office two days a week for anybody wondering. Uh, but um, I, I also, can I just say something I love about Star Trek The Next Generation, which was, um, I'm in my notes, I'm jotting things down, I'm don't things down. And at a certain point, I realised where one of the plot strands was going, and I've right. written down in big letters, "Oh yes, it's a negotiation episode," <laughs> which is some of the best John Luke Picard you will ever get. Is when yeah. he has to negotiate with an alien race. Um, and this whole thing is they have a contract. The the Shiliac think that human language is shitty, basically. Uh, so they the, the contract's incredibly long and incredibly complex. Um, and it, it also does take about 35 minutes of the 45 minute episode for Picard to come up with the idea of maybe we should read the contract. <laughs> <laughs> well, I said this to Laura because the thing is, right, on the on the Enterprise D crew, they have a built in um, system for when something really long needs to get read and it's data. But data <laughs> isn't there. So Picard is just putting it off because he knows as the captain he's going to be the guy that has to read that 5,000-page contract. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's, you can't argue... You, you, I love that Worf's next to him while <laughs> yeah. he's reading it. Look at him show that Worf's like, this is this is the worst thing I have ever gone through in my life. Yeah, <laughs> and, I, and I, I, wish, I wish that Picard had turned around to him and gone like, you know that I specifically ordered you not to be a part of this because I knew that you would just stand here bitching about it, right? It's like, but you're next to him, but it's it's happening next to his desk. Yeah, <laughs> that's the problem. Yeah, and there's like, and there's nothing to fire at, so he's he's got nothing to do. <laughs> he's just just leaning over Picard's shoulder, like, oh fucking hell, still doing this, eh? Whoa, uh, <laughs> I'm on for a fag break. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, I do love that Picard's method for stopping them is like, okay, so the Shiliac want it empty in four days, so they must be sending a ship. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna fly out in front of their ship. And then we're just gonna stay in we're gonna we're gonna be in front of them. That's it. It's just like what we're we gonna do if they try to go around. Now we'll just move over to the it. side. Yeah. <laughs> move over a bit. And like just so they can't get past without bumping into you. Which is just like I wish that they that had been part of the episode. This then up nose to nose. <laughs> Imagine that had been optimal strategy for defeating the Borg. <laughs> just sit in front of them. <laughs> So that they can't get by, and it'll annoy them so much that they'll eventually just leave. If you are touching the Borg, right, but your engine isn't on, that's no resistance. So yeah. you've gotten around the futility clause. Right? Yeah. Now you can just do what you want. Um, 
But yeah, this this does have a spectacular Jean-Luc Picard negotiation tactic. Oh yeah, it does. Because oh. uh. <laughs> I I remember talking to so I I um, meet a lot of people in pubs, and I, when in living in London or when I did live in London, as as you well know, you meet some fucking randos in pubs. Like you, yeah. you and and depending on where you drink, uh, you can meet like all all walks of life. Um, and I used to be quite friendly with this guy who was like, uh, he was he was like a, he was he was like a business. I never, I didn't really understand what he did. He was like a, he was a money man. He was like a businessman, but he he looked like a cartoon businessman. Like he, he was he was quite short, quite quite stout, but he had like like old timey braces on, um, and, and his shirts like his shirt the, the colours of his shirt were always really. Were you weird. friends with Rumpole of the Bailey? <laughs> yeah, essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, and I got I got real pissed with him one night, and I was just like, "I'm bad at negotiating. Like I'm really terrible at it. Like I'm like I, I fold like a cheap suit." I, in the last couple of episodes, by the way, I have given away quite a lot of my own personal weaknesses. So if anyone yeah. is looking for my kryptonite, this is, <laughs> Which is this probably is the place to go. Why you're such a poor negotiator is that like yeah. you walk into a room with an A4 sheet. Here's a list of my weaknesses. Yeah. Uh, let's begin. <laughs> also, uh, you you will see at the top is number one oversharing. Um, <laughs> And I feel like I haven't, despite what I just did, I haven't shown you that is this is that is the tip of the iceberg of how this is going to go, my friend. Um, but basically, he said um, the the number one key to negotiation is say what you want and then do not speak again until they speak. Yeah, yeah, it's it's very much it's from the Wolf of Wall Street, which is like um, is line about you say your telephone pitch and then you stay inside and then you are silent and the first one to talk loses. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. basically it. I can't do I, I, that, and it's it's not like, <laughs> it's not because I. So I have a weird problem where it's not so much that I find silences uncomfortable; it's that I want to talk, I want to say <laughs> things, because I, if I have to live with my thoughts simply inside of my own head, I will explode. Uh, yeah, no. Uh, my phone was broken for two days, and I had to walk the dog without my headphones on. And and Emma was just like, "Are, are you going to be okay being out like so alone with your own thoughts for about an hour?" And I was like, yeah. I, "I genuinely don't know if I can manage it." I am I am going for a major pay cut this year to get just like a regular job because being self employed and not doing all that much work, humble brag. Um, <laughs> It, 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 I don't really get to see people that often, and I am go, going crazy would be an understatement. Having had gone crazy a fucking <laughs> while ago would be a more accurate way of putting this. I've gone full yeah. data. Well, there's, they've done an experiment, haven't they? That if you put people alone in a room hooked up to a machine that will electric shock them with a button on the table that will electric shock them, if you leave people alone. I think it's 10 minutes, 75% of people will shock themselves just for something to do. <laughs> I How do they pitch that, though? Like, uh, they, they, like they could pitch... Like, is it... Because I wonder, is it like they sit down and they say, here is a box. If you press the button, the box will shock you. Anyway, we'll be I, back in half an hour. I think they, they sell them all the setup and then they say the experiment's going to begin when so-and-so arrives and then they just leave them for 15 minutes to see if they yeah 
Uh, oh, you don't want to tell. Yeah, it's like the old the Ghostbusters two. Let's see what happens when we take away the puppet. <laughs> um, I think they could set that out to me straight up. I I think I think I think the psychologist could sit me down and say, "Look, here's the deal. We're going to leave you in here. There's nothing in here. There's nothing to do. There's no one to speak to. Uh, this box will give you an electric shock, and seventy five percent of people in the first ten minutes will press it." Not only would he say that to me, he'd then say, "And I and you're going to press it. You, you, I see it in your eyes. You are one hundred percent going to press it. I would have that. I would have that button pressed within three minutes. You'd have the button pressed before the door closed. <laughs> yeah, I'd press it as soon as he said that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I'm trying to. I've got look at my notes. All I've got written down is this is a very well dressed colony. Um, I've got down. I feel noticed that. Yeah. I feel that like, the the way the people were dressed and everything. I've got down. It was very Star Wars. The so high waisted trousers and shirt with braces and like tucked in boots. Yeah, I I really like that look. I, I it's an adorably attractive look on yes. Eileen Seeley. I am very much a fan. <laughs> I yeah, I, I like it. I used to go to a speakeasy. Which is like a, a, just a London term for a wank pub. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's and, a place and, where you go through a fridge before you go down the stairs, and oh, it's it, all done up like the fifties. Oh. It was um, so the, I the drink speak- them so often. I can't even pretend that I don't like. The speakeasy I, I used to go to it was because it was like directly downstairs from my house, um, and uh, it was it, it's a you know it, it's in like a public toilet, but oh, one of the public toilets yeah. that's in like the middle of the street, like cause it's it's in an island. Yeah. Um, and they bought it. It, it. it had been hit by a bomb during World War Two, and they hadn't renovated it. They hadn't done anything with it. So the the speakeasy company who who bought it, they bought it and they had to renovate it. But they discovered because it was hit during World War Two, there weren't any bodies or anything down there. But there were like things like they found a Tommy gun. So <laughs> so they put that like above the bar in like a glass case. It was it was Aww. cool as fuck. But the waitresses their their uniform. The cocktail waitresses was like, like, like high waisted trousers, like just up to just like under the rib cage, and like white shirts with like open buttons and black braces. And I was like, that is a fucking spectacular look. I think the reason that I like that look so much is because I want to dress like that, but I'm not thin <laughs> enough to 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 go for high waisted trousers. It's it's I, hard I, me. I think if you're going to do braces, you either have to be very thin yeah. or comically fat. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah, you can't be in between. As an average-looking person, I've I had to do I had to wear braces. I was a groomsman for a friend's wedding, and that was the look they decided on. And I've never forgiven you for that, Gilly. Um, uh, you don't have I to shit. You don't have to wear braces for. I'll be wearing braces, but you don't have to because for for mine. Let's just get into Mark Wedding Admin. Um, <laughs> basically, is you can wear whatever you want as long as it's sort of. As long as there's like shades of white and green about it. Okay, cool. But uh, but I I I hate the fucking I I hate it when I, I I just I don't I don't obviously I don't think a lot about weddings, but because it is a thing that exists, I obviously have a strong opinion on it. <laughs> um, and I think that when you go to a wedding and all the fucking groomsmen are all wearing the same thing, I'm just like this is this is the most basic bitch thing in in existence, like. Just, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's so it, like you're trying to look expensive and it's like uh, but they all look the fucking it's fucking it's dumb 
so so <laughs> you you are encouraged to wear whatever makes you comfortable, but there will be a sort of theme okay. to follow because I th- I think it looks interesting when everyone's wearing sort of different stuff. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. And it and it will be broadcast in f- glorious four three format. <laughs> aspect ratio. When you say broadcast, you mean recorded on VHS and mailed out to people. <laughs> yeah, so I, I think I told, I think I told you about this before. Um, I bought a Super Eight camera. Oh yeah, yeah, because uh, it was in a charity shop, and I, and I was like, oh, that's a Super Eight camera. I've never actually really seen one of them before. And she went, I said, much? She went fifty quid, and I went, oh, can I justify that? Yeah, fuck it. Yeah, I'll get it. Problem is, um, film for it is as like fifty quid for like a spool, um, and yeah. a spool does you for three minutes, uh, which you then have to send off to get processed. But I think, but on the day, like I'm, my videographer, um, I, I've already clued him, and I've been like, you, you're not going to use this a lot because obviously you only get three minutes, so we are going to have to go through what we want, maybe like a shot of us at, at the at, like. T- together on the stage like a shot of us walking out of the building etc maybe like a shot of the speeches just like make a highlight reel um yeah. but i think that will be in four three i think i think super eight tends to be four three <laughs> or maybe five four yeah uh, i think it's i uh, i think it's four three but i'm not certain yeah uh and i don't want to be wrong on the internet uh <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anything else about this? Oh yes, so um, Picard reads the contract. There's an arbitration clause, and he he decides that he wants to have it arbitrated by the Grisella, Grisellas who are in their hibernation phase. So it'd be like six months. That's it. And then they ring back, and he does the whole pause, inspects for dust off the metal plaque that is on the the thing. Yeah. It's, it's a beautiful moment. Yeah, uh, yeah. And then they give him a week, proper Shakespearean. That's why yeah. you get. That's why you get Sir Patrick Stewart. Yeah, and then uh, the episode ends with him telling Data that he's creative. And Data's like, "I'm not. I, my, my violin playing technique is an exact replica of two other people's mashed together." And then Data, and, and then Picard has to explain, "No, that's what creativity is." <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The fact that you've been able to take those two things and make a new thing out of it. But, but yeah, yeah. That's... Like somebody going, "What if nine hundred two one zero, but also X Files?" Is is how you get is how you get Buffy, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, what? That, what? Uh, yeah. I don't have anything else. I I quite like. I I had a good time in this episode. It was a great great day episode. Great day episode. Wesley only has one line. Geordie's got some funny lines. It's a, it's a fun episode. Yeah, because Picard, yeah. because they can't get the transporters to work and they have to transport everyone off the planet, he calls Geordie and O'Brien, who stays silent, because he's still <laughs> he's still seething about the pipe that he had at lunch. Um, <laughs> he, walk, he, he walks in and Picard says to Geordie, I need, because obviously the transporters can't work because of the radiation, he says, I need the transporters to work and I don't want to hear that it's impossible. And Geordie's like, okay. Uh, <laughs> So Jordy just fucks off and then he comes back in at the end and he's like, well, we can do it. Uh, I'm going to need a research team in 15 years. But we can do it. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that is a, a space. Like, do you think do you think Jordy and, and O'Brien were sitting there in the transport room and Jordy was like, should I say that? Like, because it is true and it, it, it does go with his orders, but it's it, that's pretty cheeky. Like, I don't know how, like, Kirk would have appreciated that. 
but I don't know how Picard's going to feel if I say this. <laughs> I, I I feel that he has to be able to have backed that up and go, no, theoretically, I've worked out what needs to be done, but yeah. none of the technology exists. <laughs> and it's a, it's a shame that yeah, it's a shame that money doesn't exist in the Star Trek universe because Jordy and O'Brien could have immediately just been like, well, we're millionaires because uh, we figured this out. <laughs> Time to get this fucking yeah, job only, to fuck. It's, it's a, they've worked out a transporter that beams through this radiation that human beings can't exist in. So it's not useful tech. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know how to beam somebody into an area that will kill them. Well, we can do that already. It's called space. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. Well, uh, that was nice. Yeah. Uh, hope you've enjoyed that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Hope you liked it. But I don't really care if you did. No. Uh, <laughs> See you next week. <laughs> Bye. Bye. The Captain's Slog is performed by Mark O'Neill and Eddie Edwards. You can follow both of them on Twitter and Instagram. Mark's at RealMarkO'Neill and Eddie is at EdEdwardsComedy. If you like the podcast, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter and now on YouTube at Captain Slog. And we have a Facebook page as well. Or if you really like what we do here, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Captain Slog.